Hello and welcome to Only Fools and Brotherly Forces, the English comedy rewatch podcast, doing a Christmas special extravaganza. Bonus episode for you here. Uh, my name is Bobby and as always I'm joined by my brother Jamie. Good evening Jamie, how are you doing? Ho ho ho, Merry Christmas. <laughs> um, <laughs> very nice. That, that was very uh, cheesy, Christmas extravaganza. Thank you, yes. I should give a nod to uh, the Stuff You Should Know podcast, as that is what they always call their Christmas special episode, and I just couldn't resist dropping it in here. Oh, right, I see. Plagiarising. Homaging. <laughs> Homaging. Homaging, that's the one. <laughs> cool. Um, so, yeah, a bit of a random one. Uh, we do love a Christmas special. We've, we've done a couple... Um, already and it just kind of felt like a cool thing to do it's a good excuse for us to just come together and have a bit of a booze up really um drink and be merry yeah we're still quite far away from each other we were hoping to catch each other sort of this month next month but obviously not happening in the current climate so a good excuse to get together and chat about some stuff this has got to be our quickest ever turn around from idea to execution ever i mean we had played with the idea of doing some kind of a christmas special uh for a few weeks but we'd never really had an idea we settled on um and then you sent me this brilliant idea just a few days ago <laughs> you really got a pod voice on today <laughs> stop that we're getting yeah. drunk um yeah, so I mean, I searched for British comedy films, thought we'd do something a bit special and not nail out a series, and we kind of, I think we teased at the very start that we wanted to look into films at some point, so it's kind of a good time to do that, but I tell you what, there are not a lot of British comedy films just anywhere, I mean, Love Actually came up, and then it was basically nine other films I hadn't heard of, but this one, uh, which is completely mental, but it's it's perfectly on our wheelhouse it's a muppet christmas carol it's sort of good circa our sort of time it came out in 1992 so we were pretty young but obviously it was circulating a fair bit um when we were young guns but a nice nostalgia trip for us both um and some comedy you know the muppets are funny sometimes yeah i mean technically obviously the muppets are american however of course, the source material, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, is about as English as a thing can be. It was actually filmed in England as well. The studio it was filmed in was in, in London. Shepperton. And, of course, the uh, the starring role uh, beyond the Muppets themselves, given to the uh, national treasure that is Michael Caine. Yeah, another one that is about as English as you can get as well. Absolutely. I don't know if we should, should we talk about it or should we go into it? Are we getting a theme tune or are we just going to go? Should, should we start off with our uh, drinks of choice? Yes, ever so let's, festive let's episode. do that. Go on. So uh, I've gone like, you know, full full in as I as I like to do with with food and drink. So uh, I um, look a lot into, you know, different drinks and food recipes and stuff. And I just happened to very recently uh, see a recipe about one of Charles Dickens' preferred mulled wine recipes. Uh, he calls it um, the smoking bishop and it actually comes up in the original book. Uh, it's almost one of the last lines, as uh, Scrooge says to Bob Cratchit, we'll um, you know, enjoy a bowl of smoking bishop together. Uh, thus That's named it. because, of course, as it steams and warms up, the, uh, the wine uh, looks like it's smoking, and it is red, which was a bit the colour of bishop's robes. Trivia. 
Indeed. So this is it's basically it's a fifty fifty red wine port blend, and then you uh, bake oranges that have been set with cloves, and there's a few other spices. There's ginger, there's allspice, there's cinnamon, all all the standard goodies. It's actually less spiced than I would normally make my mulled wine, um, but I went I went quite true to the recipes that I found. Um, but it's got this really nice, hopefully citrusy taste. I'm now pouring my first glass. He's sending me pictures of like oranges laden with cloves, cloves that he's baking in the oven. Um, and I've been busy as anything. So today, what I did half an hour ago was run into my local shop, buy a bottle of wine and then half boil it with a load of sugar. Uh, I think I had a cinnamon stick and that was about it. I did find a star anise. Uh, hey, it's added, all good, man. You're basically <clears throat> there. A tiny bit of lemon juice because there's no orange. So I just want a tiny bit of citrus. And uh, I put a spoonful of Vimto in it because <laughs> I wanted some sort of fruit going on. And I thought maybe a tablespoon of Vimto will just give her that real fruit taste. Not even like a Robina, but Vimto. That was literally all we have. Like there is nothing. If there was anything else that would work, it would be in there. But there isn't. So what I have is the most pikey mulled wine that's ever existed. And it doesn't taste great, but it's warm and sweet. So I'm going to smash it. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. It's growing on me already, to be honest. <laughs> Mine's quite delightful. I held back on the sugar because I used um, I used clementines instead of uh, like Seville oranges, which is kind of what I saw in most of the recipes, which are quite bitter and sour. And mandarins are quite sweet. So I held back on the sugar. So this actually is arguably not sweet enough, but the port's in there. So it's quite rich. Um, and I recommend it. There is this kind of, Almost smoky orange kind of baked flavour because you, you juice the oranges that you've baked with cloves and, and you kind of add that. And I feel like I'm getting something from that that's it's doing something cool. I like it. Good. So if you've tuned in to listen to a podcast about the show, um, bear with us. We'll, we'll get there in a sec. Make yourself a bowl of smoking bishop first and then come back and join us. <laughs> so uh, the show, um, a couple of sort of bits before we get into the timeline as it were um one of the things that i read i'm sure you did as well uh that i really loved is when michael kane was initially uh was eventually uh chosen for the part one of the things he said was to the um to the producer oh sorry yeah to producer producer and director uh brian henson who is jim henson's son uh, was that he was going to play this straight, like he was working for the Royal Shakespeare Company. Like he wasn't going to wink, it wasn't going to be tongue-in-cheek, it wasn't going to be cheeky, nothing muppety. He was just going to play Scrooge as like an utterly dramatic role. And as though there's no puppets around him. And to say that that is what he does is exactly just right. His performance throughout this whole thing is just... Actually, there's a couple of bits there's not, but generally uh, his performances <laughs> were properly insane and it just drew me into the uh the show for sure i think without that centerpiece i don't know how much i would have enjoyed this yeah it's funny because i don't think of michael Caine as a classic thespian like as no. a shakespearean actor but that is how he played this um in this in that kind of really old school traditional english thespian way uh i mean this is a really popular character that's been played by lots of famous people i mean patrick stewart has done a, a great scrooge in a rendition before uh but this is stage or see, tv uh on tv it's um i saw I've, I've seen it before i don't know if it was like a bbc 
made for TV sort of thing. But he's he's done a good uh, Christmas Carol adaptation as well. Nice. Uh, not I mean maybe late eighties. I'm not sure. Uh, but this is just just brilliant. I mean, I think this is arguably one of Michael Caine's best ever roles. Yeah, yeah, genuinely. Like, like I, as an I, as an acting challenge, I think it's outstanding. Yeah, I was I was super impressed with it. Um, th- there are always going to be things watching this back. I mean, I haven't seen it in quite a few years, but there's always going to be things watching it closely that you'd pick up on as an adult that you just never would done would have done as a kid. And I was completely blown away. I, I read that as I was sort of loading it up, and then just seeing just the, oh, all all the things he does when he's like crying and emotional. I'll talk about it a bit more a bit later. But yeah, I was. Um, I was massively invested in something when there's like puppets around and stuff. It's completely mental that, that it was able to do that for you. I mean, I'm going to come out straight away and say, this is genuinely one of my favorite movies, like not even Christmas movie, like favorite films, full stop. Really? So just, I'm just going to come out with that now. And I'm sure I'm going to wax lyrical throughout and more so at the end, but this is it's a real special. Offsesh, is it? It's a real special film for me. I love it. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Um, I think the uh, the combination of the Muppets with... Well, I think one of the things I really love about this is the, the fact it's so true to the book and uses all the the language. It, it's mm. just absolutely beautiful to listen to. Like I think about this and um, the original Oliver musical, um, mm-hmm. made in 1960, whatever. I think they were two really, really important films for me growing up for my love of like traditional poetical English sounding language, like liter- literary language and musicals as well. Uh, not so much into as many musicals now, but at the time I loved these two films. Uh, and that it, it just sounds beautiful. I could listen to this stuff forever. Why don't we talk like this anymore? <laughs> I genuinely dislike musicals quite a lot um <laughs> I, I i don't it, it breaks the the sort of flow for me a lot of the time to to have this storyline or story arc go into theatrics and a lot of the time i just don't i don't need it i don't appreciate it i don't think the writing although catchy it just i, I just don't need that song i much prefer the the film and the acting to do the work for me but there are some exceptions um, uh, from different parts in my life that become nostalgic. Oliver is a, a really good example, something that we were brought up on. And and this show for sure, like knowing that I don't like musicals, but I, I just had no uh, reservations or concerns. And as soon as this opening credit starts, she kind of get this mini montage of loads of the songs that you're going to have in like little orchestral tidbits mm. Uh, it's just great and straight away like a smile goes across my face and even though i don't like a musical like i could feel myself getting ready to sing along i was ready for it okay it seems like a good place to start let's uh let's play a little bit of that intro um orchestral music and let's get into the film So we open to discover that Gonzo, the uh, creature that he is, is 
playing Charles Dickens. He is the narrator uh, of the film. I remember reading a long time ago, because I've researched this film before, that kind of them figuring out that Gonzo should be narrating it um, was kind of the, the thing that made the whole film work. Because mm. uh, they really wanted to use a lot of the original of the original um, prose a, as written. And they couldn't quite kind of figure out how they were going to make it all work. Um, and it's very unusual to have a narrator in any film. And none of the other, none of the other Christmas Carol live action things usually ever had narrators. It was always just said by the characters. But you can't just constantly have all the Muppets just spouting all the stuff. You needed them to be able to improvise a little bit. So having Gonzo kind of hold it all together as the narrator was just incredibly clever. And it just, the setup, it makes it all work. Yeah, it kind of, the film's just a really nice harmony of like serious, uh, like script and dialogue and acting and like a hat tip to Dickens and then just Muppet, Muppetified all over the place. Like little (laughs) tiny jokes for kids things that they understand and um yeah it's, it's a really really good balance i was surprised to read that it, it didn't actually have like a massive reception on release like it did go up against home alone 2 and aladdin uh, at the sort of time of the release but basically it was it was i think it was seen as like reasonably successful but not great and yet it's just one of the most iconic christmas films now that you would think of yeah, totally. I mean, going up against those two films must have been so hard. I mean, what a year for Christmas films. To have these mm. those three films all in the cinema at the same time, all three still loved films. Although, with this film, I was stunned. It's got a 7.7 on IMDb and 76 on Rotten Tomatoes. That is, that is cruel. I, I, I find that unbelievable. It's a high score, but... I would say it probably is worthy of more on both. So much more. This is one of there are there are some films, especially on Rotten Tomatoes, which often surprise you by being kind of way in the nineties, just because people just have such a soft spot for it. I expected to see that with this, and so to Mm. then see it seventy six, I was really let down. In uh, in the very first song we have here, we have got a great introduction song for introducing uh, the character of Scrooge. And this really sets up something that is true for every song throughout, where all of the songs seem so timeless. They're like, they seem to fit in the time that it's set. They fit in mid-19th century England in this kind of Dickensian setting. And yet they also work now. And I just think they're the, the whoever the it's kind of main music... Um, composer was and the kind of person in charge of just setting all that up all the songs work together brilliantly there's clearly a theme running throughout and they are brilliantly timeless i i really enjoyed all the songs yeah like it's definitely not going to be for everyone and i think if you don't have some of that nostalgia connection to it you know it's not going to float everyone's boat but in terms of what you've just said, like the writing and and how they work. Again, the the balancing act of them is great. A really nice um, sort of mood that that follows the 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 emotion and the feeling of the the film really well. Like it really complements the story and sets mm. the scenes 
really pleasantly for sure. I, I, uh, I, I did really enjoy them. I couldn't, I couldn't help but sing along. I, I think I found like the songs. Sometimes a song in a musical is just um, like obsessing with the kind of emotion in the moment. It's just like, okay, we're all feeling this. We're all feeling love or sadness. Let's sing a three song, three minute song about that. Where all, most of these songs do a lot more than that. They do actually move the story at, along. They are like narrative devices. They are telling you stuff and informing you. And I think that really helps if you're not big into musicals. Like my missus is not big into musicals at all. Um, you know, she was one of those people who's like skipped songs in Disney films growing up, which I find insane. Uh, I'm the musical lover in the family. But uh, I think these songs really serve a purpose. Yeah, they, they, they kind of a lot of time feel a bit like a spoon feed because it kind of is that. The whole point is that you're, you're feeding the the younger audience that it's massively aimed at the the feeling and the emotion and the sound of the story. So to be able to do that, but also have it appealing to adults in terms of the lyrics um, was really, really good. And I, I don't know all the details of this, but uh, while well, sort of skimming through the reading, so this was written or at least largely headed up by, as I said, Brian Henson, who was Jim Henderson's son. So Jim Henderson's done pretty much everything of the Muppets up until this point and sadly passes away like two years before that. And then yeah. his son gets approached to do this. And I, I'm guessing, I didn't look it up, but this is the first thing that he ever did, like seriously on his own at least. Yeah, it's certainly on his own, yeah. He, he'd he been a big part of many of the other films. He was very much a part of the Muppet family. He didn't just kind of turn up and be like, hey, I'm the son and heir. I'll take over mm. the reins. He, he'd been he'd been brought up through through the ranks, if you like. He'd been a puppeteer um, and a muppeteer, and had made lots of other shorts. Uh, even after Jim Henson's death, Brian Henson had made other things. It hadn't been like the second Jim Henson died, there was nothing, and then there was this. There had been bits being made um, with Brian Henson largely in charge, but this was his first, like. Yeah, film, proper big thing. I mean, and it originally wasn't going to be a film. It was originally going to be a TV special for ABC. Mm. And then Disney bought the rights and it became a film. And that might be, that might have kind of been a good thing because maybe if it had gone straight to film, maybe they might have tried to give it to someone else, but it was kind of too far down the line. Maybe not. Maybe it always would have been Brian Henson's to, to do, but maybe that helped that kind of that stepping stone approach. It's funny that you mentioned um, stuff you should know earlier because I have a note here and I'm pretty sure that it was on that show that I heard it. Um, one of the guys, uh, Chuck, who is on that show, used to do sort of a, fair, a bit of sort of on-set stuff and he was talking about um, either working with the Muppets or working with people who worked with the Muppets quite a bit and was praising the the puppeteers for their sort of prowess and professionalism and how skilled they are at their craft and how much they care like they are properly top of their jobs and very well respected in that sort of uh area of film and people who work with them just generally seem to have mad love for them that the guy's actually creating this magic which i think is a really cool thing i really sort of was great to hear that you know yeah, I think it's really easy to underrate that stuff. I know uh, there was an interview with Michael Caine I read where he said, uh, you know, he'd never worked on a set where just everyone was so amazingly lovely because it was all puppeteers and they were just humble and brilliant and lovely to be around. Um, 
I know uh, Brian Henson said in an interview that uh, you, know, you know someone had asked him, did the film turn out as you'd expected, like as you envisioned? And he went, well, kind of, but not really, because it massively depends on everyone involved. If you change out one of those puppeteers for someone else, everything kind of changes a bit because it mm. is such a sum of all its parts. Um, and that's uh, that was really cool to hear. I think this is a, a very close and special family, the Muppets. Yeah, some of the things I read for the the design and the production of it was really interesting as well. So a lot of the sets were sort of small scale built sets, which look sort of really good um, for sure. And also the in order to have uh, Michael Caine sort of doing full acting around the Muppets, uh, they in the studio, they actually dropped the floor of the studio to allow for the puppeteers and then had a raised platform or walkways and gangways on the set that Michael Caine then walked across. So most of his, or a lot of his stuff, he's actually on sort of like thinner, small walkways while walking around in order to sort of make that production quite seamless, which I thought was really clever. Yeah. I I, I saw some videos online of that and that was really awesome. I'd encourage anyone to look it up because I'd always wondered, I don't know. I kind of just pictured it as maybe like, puppeteers lying on the floor with kind of their hands in the air but actually they're they're running around and it and it's the act the human actors that are then raised up walking on these like planks uh trying desperately to not look down i guess um but yeah it's it's a very interesting setup but it, it does look just absolutely brilliant one of the early things that i noticed for um appealing to the adult audiences which i thought was quite fun i didn't actually notice a lot after this but quite early uh, when the mice are all asking for coal because it's freezing in the uh in the workshop or whatever they said please mr scrooge uh our assets are frozen yeah <laughs> which, which is a joke in loads of different ways i thought it was quite quite a good quite a good gag yeah i, I, I the, the little rats at the start was absolutely brilliant um it everything is great i tell you what this is a little interesting uh factoid i think some people not might not know uh the kind of etymology or humbug right what when you think of the word humbug everyone thinks of this film i think but do you know what humbug really means i've read it on christmas trivia like i can't for the life of me think of me but i'm sure you'll remember when you tell me well, basically, the term humbug, people think is to mean like complaining about something or whatever, but a humbug is a practical joke. That's what a humbug is. So when he's saying humbug to everything, he's basically saying, that's that's just a big joke. That's nothing. I don't believe in all that. That's rubbish. Um, but a humbug is a positive thing. It's a joke. Like P.T. Barnum, who's very famous because of the... Um, uh, great uh what the greatest showman film which i've not seen but uh he would you know often talk about you know creating humbugs and he was the best humbug maker in all the world and stuff it's kind of a positive thing and that was around this time that's the early 19th century uh but then the word has almost lost all that meaning no one ever uses it in the positive anymore it's just associated with being like anti-christmas but that that's nothing to do with it that's not what the word means Nice. Well, after sort of setting the scene and learning that uh, Scrooge is just a bit of a, a bad dude, we learn that uh, he's going to get some visits from a ghost. We see his old partners, uh, the Marley brothers, come up, which is, I don't know what their, their Muppets name is, them, but they're the ones what was like, oh, that's a joke. <laughs> the which, grumpy old men. I love those Muppets. They're wicked oh, and everything. 
They are they are great, but it's a little bit grating. It's a little. It's the least <laughs> funniest thing that happens, but it's still okay. Oh, but, I don't know. I think it's great. You, so, are, are you aware? Because and this is the thing. I, I, I've got a few trivia bits like this that I'm not sure. So, for many people, and this is myself included, up until about maybe five, ten years ago, certainly in, until my twenties, this is the only version of a Christmas Carol I'd ever really watched. And so, I was surprised to find out later in life. That the original story only has one Marley. Yes, I think I, I think I was aware of that. But yeah, like a lot of people don't know. So the original story is just Jacob Marley. But they what mm. they thought this character would be so perfect for this uh, this double act of the two old guys that they kind of added another one. But uh, the original story, there is only one Marley. I I remember that that scene where where they sort of appear and they have this song, which is kind of a little bit like ghostly or doomly or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it's man. pretty dark. Captive bound, we're double ironed, exhausted by the weight. As freedom comes from killing laws, oh, prison comes with hate. We're Marley and Marley. We're Marley and Marley. I remember as a kid being, like, quite scared of them. And there, there was a couple of emotions I was regressed back to when watching this. And... For sure, like when they're singing this song, like Marley and Marley, like there's, some, there's something quite ominous about it, and they're sort of encroaching on his space a little bit. And like now, like I just didn't think anything of it, but it's funny because ne- none of these things are real. Muppets don't exist, nor do ghosts, and yet <laughs> here I am, like watching a film about some sort of parody of scary stuff. But I mean. It was actually in this scene that I I made the note of just how amazingly expressive the Muppets are. Like, most of them don't even move their eyes or eyelids. Some of them have moving eyebrows, but not all of them. And yet, they are so expressive. You really feel like they are living, moving creatures. Like, they could easily be computer-generated to their level of animation. I don't know how they do that. I don't know how they make that, how they make them look so good. It's just amazing. It's a a massive amount of nuance in the sort of tiny gestures that are made with Mm. the mouth slash hand for sure. And you've got to remember, this is 30 years old. You know, this is bloody old. And the fact that they're able to achieve, I, I wouldn't say that you watch it and think that they're real people, but. A part of it is again probably just linked to the fact that I knew it as a kid, but it does feel like they exist. Like that, there's enough mm. um, sort of portrayal of emotion and nuance that you, you kind of do just get lost a little bit and forget most of the time that it's a puppet. All it is is flapping its head mostly, and yet that, <laughs> that can that can actually make you feel like it exists. It's very cool. Totally, and like uh, it, and it is. It is a relatively scary film in places. It's a relatively scary book in places. Like I, I've heard it described by like a, a, a literary guy as a bit like a, a ghost train. It's kind of controlled fear, the, the, the whole original story. It is meant to be kind of creepy, and in places it's, it's very creepy. And the film doesn't seem to shy away from that. It does kind of embrace the creepy elements in but very quickly like it, in this song there's like a little bit where they're they're joking about how they evicted the orphanage and then they have a little bit of a <laughs> like they shudder at their thought of their own evil deed which you can easily kind of miss but it's quite a dark moment and then they go back to kind of making a joke it the way they jump between those things is 
just I don't I don't know how they do it, but I, I guess part of the way they do it is is the source material does kind of lend itself to that. There is jokes in Dickens. He's he's a surprisingly funny writer. I hear like there are more jokes than you'd expect, and I kind of get the, the feeling he'd probably approve because there are there are jokes in the original. I actually, as part of my research, I have listened to an unabridged version of a christmas carol does that mean you listen to the whole book the whole book in the last four days yes <laughs> and do you know what's interesting it, it it's a short book like it and and so's the film you know like you i, I remember when we first mentioned it i was like ah oh, that film is pretty long isn't it there's a lot to talk about and then it's like an hour and a half the book is when read with some performance, it is read by one person and it's unabridged, but he does do all the voices and stuff. Uh, that was only three and a half hours. I mean, that's, hmm. that's a short book, but it's so punchy. Yeah. Yeah. The, the story does move along nice and quick. That must've been quite beautiful to, to listen to. Cause like you said, the language we touched on already, but it's just so poetic. Like it's yeah. not like Shakespeare, but this like modern, well, it's not modern, a modern idea on Shakespeare, but sort of the old English language without a doubt was just such a beautiful thing, you know, like take heed and all these other sort of old school <laughs> things that come up. I, I really, I don't know. It just must be a thing about getting old. Hey, like you, I don't know why you appreciate it so much more, but the, the poetry is fantastic. I, I mean, I th- yeah, I think I've always kind of loved it a little bit. I remember when I watched um, uh, Baz Luhrmann's uh, Romeo and Juliet, I had similar feelings. I was like, what is, this is amazing. This is like a modern film, but actually they're speaking like Shakespeare and it's brilliant and I absolutely loved it. And I, I definitely get some similar kind of vibes from this. But the uh, yeah, it was on um, it was on Audible. I recommend that you listen, as do our listeners, because I'd uh, I downloaded one previously, but it was like a a real performed, almost like Audible uh, audio play. And I was like, yeah, I want to hear it unabridged. I want to hear the mm. actual. And I found a, a there was a great version free on Audible if you have a membership that is an unabridged. Um, but well performed version of a Christmas Carol, and it was it was brilliant, and it's so close. Like there is there is not that much missing in this film. There is four or five scenes. It just didn't go. Uh, it just didn't go. Like the lamp, not the rat. Like the lamp, <laughs> not the rat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's 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 great. It it absolutely works uh, as a book. It's brilliant. It makes me want to read more of the original Dickens, and I'm going to. Nice, cool. Um, so the first Christmas ghost, scary as shit. We agree. <laughs> <laughs> she, yeah, she's creepy. Isn't it? Like I, I couldn't remember a hundred percent which ghost was which at which at first. I was like, I'm pretty sure it's that young one. I'm pretty sure she's scary. And then when it came on, I mean, I watched like a 1080p version. Um, and yeah, she was like freaky looking. I think she, I think she's more freaky looking now as for me as an adult than she was as a child. Yeah, but I think also like that whole porcelain doll thing has been just made more and more freaky over the years. Like no one isn't <laughs> creeped out by porcelain dolls unless they're a creepy person. I think you should be freaked out by porcelain dolls. But that this was they, they made this by putting a puppet originally in oil. 
to kind of give it that wavy look. They filmed a puppet in oil, um, but uh, it they they had some trouble. It didn't really seem to work, so they eventually used water, which started to degrade the puppet really quickly. So actually, they <laughs> they were only just able to get all the scenes they needed before the before the puppet started to basically fall apart. But it is a creepy puppet. One of the first things that sort of really highlighted to me some of Kane's performance, like he's being an angry bastard throughout most of the sort of first 10 minutes. And, you know, it's just good angry bastard. But when this first spirit takes him to his old school, he has this like, like this is my old friend and this is my place. And he walks into his old school and just, it it kind of made me think about my old school and like what it would Mm. feel to walk around there. And then when he he look he finally sees like himself there as a kid and his his face when he's like oh that's me as a child like I was just totally drawn in that was the first bit for me where I was like Kane's really smashing this like mm. that he 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 does he does so much acting in this without acting and and just glances and looks really well that that helped to sort of project um a feeling or emotion and then we get bits where he's absolutely falling to pieces and he does them so well as well yeah it's amazing how you can do that kind of level of nuanced acting surrounded by puppets is absolutely amazing i mean the scene is set so beautifully they had this lovely like woodwind instruments going on as they kind of setting up this scene as he's walking around the school and it is just absolutely delightful it just really is just great um there there is actually a, a cut song here that's on the um album sung by um Sam the Eagle called Chairman of the Board uh, there's actually, there's no video footage of it it's just audio and it's awful so don't waste your time <laughs> but just as a piece of trivia it exists <laughs> there's one line I absolutely love from Sam the Eagle here when uh, he does um talks about business it is the american business. way yeah, I've got that as Business. well. <laughs> that that is a line that is quoted regularly in like uh in this family. Like we all know the line. I think whenever I've said that I studied business at university, this is what ev- everyone I've ever met goes business. <laughs> like it's it's great. I love it every time. It never it's never not funny. And that whole idea of kind of playing on the American British crossover that this film is. Uh that level of just self-awareness is just wicked. Really, yeah. really breaks that wall in a fun way. Yeah, it was a really nice nod to that I thought to sort of have the this sort of harmony of British and English stuff and it kind yeah. of for a large part is completely seamless and you wouldn't you wouldn't really think about it until he sort of goes uh, like the American way, like oh yeah, like they're American as you like, like really they're massively out of place, but you just don't really think about it. <laughs> no, it, it just totally works. Um, and, and another visit we see from the uh, the Ghost of Christmas Past takes him to uh, his old boss, Mister Fozzywig. Yeah. Now, I find the name Fozzywig hilarious, and I was really intrigued to find out what the actual name was from the original book, and y- you won't believe it. It's Fezziwig. Oh, really? It's Fezziwig. It's so close. And I was like, really? They called a character Fezziwig back then? That's ridiculous. But yeah, so it's, it sounds like a ridiculous Muppet name, but it's not. It's it's basically the original the original name. Nice. Uh, the next thing we see um, is Michael Caine uh, getting a little bit 
um, older and, and meeting Belle and we have this sort of really sad scene. I mean, first of all, this, this Belle character um, who's played by... Um, I've got a name down written there somewhere. Can't find it. Uh, it's just like stunning, like really old school, vintage, natural, beautiful. And um, I don't know, again, if it's just because of this link I have to my childhood but like just breathtakingly <laughs> just naturally gorgeous and like she's probably got a face for it and when, when her singing starts i thought maybe it was dubbed but as it went on i kind of thought maybe it was actually her and i looked up some of her credits and she's basically done nothing else which i was quite surprised at because she seems pretty reasonable at what she's doing she it is very much her i've seen a video of her in a sound studio recording her song with michael kane Oh, nice. Um, and it's very much her. She's got outstanding pipes. And so this comes to something that I, I'm very, uh, I have very strong opinions about, which is, of course, this song, which it from most versions is cut. Hmm. Yeah, the version I watched initially, it was cut. And I, and I knew, and I read that it was going to be cut because I'd seen their other versions. And that's really weird, hey? The... So, so this song, The Love Is Gone, was in the version we had on VHS as kids growing up. Um, yeah. I always liked it. Apparently lots of kids didn't like it. They thought it was slow and boring and emotional. I was clearly just an odd kid. I always loved it. Still do. And I think the entire film is considerably better with the song. Oh, I shit, just, yeah. I, I just, it's so pivotal to the emotional journey of Scrooge to setting it up it has a callback at the end I think this song is is critical and it's a travesty it was cut Brian Henson was furious by all accounts it was cut by an executive at the studio because when they did pre-screenings just kids lost interest they thought it was kind of a bit too slow and emotional and it didn't have any Muppets in it and they just thought it was just too much (laughs) too much serious TV without a Muppet Muppet in about in it and so they cut it Um, and not only do I feel absolutely terrible for this brilliant actress with the stunning voice who as you say doesn't seem to have done a lot afterwards um, but also it's just it's a great song and it's Mm, it's not a bad song the, the 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 way kind of Michael Caine joins in on the bridge and sings along with her oh, is just it, I, I mean I'm I'm balling you know I'm getting a, I'm getting a full on emotion over here. It, it's funny because um, so the, so the cut version it kind of feels a bit weird because it, it they're like talking away and then all of a sudden it cuts to Michael Caine who's bawling his eyes out and it's just like where the hell did that come from and it, it yeah. does feel a bit disconnected so I, I kind of watched that first because I wanted to see what it was like and then I put the main song on and I was like right she's beautiful she's got a good voice and she's singing along and I was thinking do you know what? I, I felt like I had more emotional connection to this song it's nice and everything but I'm actually not like as invested as I thought and then Michael Caine stands yeah. directly behind her. And even though Michael Caine is not a good singer at all, the way that he joins in with this is 
stunning and it just suddenly becomes like properly heartbreaking and like i can't say that i didn't start to get a bit choked up for it and then it ends with him just completely broken staring at her as she finishes off this number and it's horrible like like it Mm. properly is emotionally affecting and when that happened, I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's why I was in absolute pieces. <laughs> oh, so the thing with this song is it was it was cut for the cinema release. It was then put on the original VHS release, but then cut for nearly every subsequent release. And Disney lost the original negative. So the only f- footage they had was the kind of VHS footage, which was completely useless. So even when they did like the anniversary releases years later, they couldn't put it back on because they didn't have a decent copy. And it was only like a year ago, I think, maybe two, they they finally found it. They had a big crew and they found the original negative of this. Oh, awesome. And and so it's it's available, but they still haven't put it in. So I watched this film on Disney Plus because I have Disney Plus because I have a child. And <laughs> Um, it's available. Is that in 4K as standard? Uh, well, it, yes, it's in pretty good. It's not. It's not really proper 4K, it's but it's upscaled. pretty good. Yeah, it's upscaled. And do you know what's really good? It's lovely surround sound, which is Ooh. really good. I really nice. enjoyed that because I watched it with headphones, and that was really nice. Um, so props for that. The quality could be better. I'm a bit disappointed with uh, Disney Plus's video quality generally, but that's that's for another day. Um, but. They have the original footage, but they've still just put it as a as a separate deleted scene you could watch. They haven't actually embedded it in the film, which is just what? such an error. Put it in there. It's better. But I think yeah. most, pe- most people don't know the song. Like, my missus and her family, when I, I remember watching the film with them, and it was the first time I found out that that song was ever cut. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What the fuck? Where's this song? Yeah, and they were like, what are you talking about? What song? And none of them knew it. Because well, it wasn't on the version of their absolute minds when he showed it to them. Well, they hated it because they just—they're not big into music, <laughs> into oh. soppy songs or musicals. So they were like, "Yeah, it's crap." I was like, "No, you—you you, you don't understand. Everything's do you know, better." Do you, know, do you know? I completely get that. Like as a kid, although I appreciated the melody, I probably didn't like that bit, and it was probably one of my least favorite bits of the episode. And I, I'm pretty sure I fast-forwarded it when I watched it. But when you're looking at it from an actual story point of view and as a film piece everything that you said earlier it was absolutely pivotal to the story Mm. like it it completely changes how you look at scrooge and it completely changes the explanation of why he is such a reserved cold hard bastard like it's right there in that song it exists there and you watch him break down and from that moment you know he he fucking comes to like a rebirth and and that is that changing moment yeah so yeah that, that I mean, is the moment that makes this the rest of it makes sense so we that that is basically it now for the ghost of christmas past he is a he is a very broken upset man he's seen all his kind of sad uh you know all the sad scenes from his life and then he's feeling very melancholic and then we get introduced to the outstandingly jolly and brilliant <laughs> ghost of christmas present who is an absolute delight <laughs> yeah i kind of put him as a bit of a sort of brian blessed blessed giant like hell he, yes he's not quite as loud and as outlandish but he's certainly getting pretty close and he is a big bearded bastard 
That's a great shout. And in, actually in the book and in many of the visual renditions, he's described as kind of showing off a bare chest as like having an, a half open robe. And he's like oh, a big yes. hairy bloke. So this is Brian Blissett. If Brian Blissett has never played the Ghost of Christmas Present somewhere on some stage, <laughs> then the world <laughs> needs to sort its life out. That must have happened. Um, th- there was some really good uh, effects and camera work in this generally. Um, they they do quite a few bits where the Muppets are, for all intents and purposes, and how you perceived not being puppeteered. You see their legs, you see the feet, you see them walking, um, and it's sort of variously successful. Some of it looks a little bit more CGI and comped, and then some of it looks genuinely seamless, like when um, Kermit or uh, Scratch it, Scratch it, and his um kid are on the shoulders and they're walking it just looks absolutely great and there's one bit here where the, this giant goes from you know half the size of a house and mm. shrinks to normal human size and it is seamless like absolutely seamless considering that this is a a digital rendition that then goes into some sort of costumed character um it looked brilliant i was well impressed at that yeah, I mean, the Ghost of Christmas present in general just looks outstanding. I love every minute of him. I mean, this song, the um, the main song that he sings here at the start, should be a Christmas staple. It's in the singing of a street corner choir. It's going home and getting warm by the fire. It's true wherever you find love, it feels like Christmas. A cup of kindness that we share with another. Buble should have sung that. Like that's that's how much of a Christmas staple it should have been. I I don't understand why it isn't. It's a fantastic Christmas song. Yeah, it really is quite a good song. Uh, do you know what? <laughs> this feels so weird. Like really, like all of the serious stuff we've done and the comedies we talked about, and we're basically just sat here absolutely noshing off the Muppets. It's. This is a massive nostalgia trip, but I can't believe... I knew I was going to like it, but there's something like a little bit random about talking about in a podcast and talking about <laughs> how good The Muppets was. Don't you I, think? I, well, I, I do. However, I'm slightly, I'm slightly vindicated by the fact that I know another podcast we love, uh, Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast. He has very regularly talked about with many guests about how Muppet Christmas Carol is one of the best films ever made and undoubtedly the best Christmas film. I, I don't think we're alone in this view. I feel like I feel like this film holds a very special place in many people's hearts. And I'm quite happy to to dive into it and nuancely talk about different parts. But I mean if I can think of something bad, I'll mention it, but I got you know, I've don't hold your breath, people. I've got a couple of knocks on it. Um, but yeah, I think, I don't know what, what it's called, what the kids or the modern people call it today, but I think there's definitely like this underlying machismo sort of bit of me that feels like massively emasculated by praising Muppets and musicals. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> it shouldn't be there, but just part of me is just like, that's not that's not what man, men do. They don't like this stuff, but... What can you do? Love it. I have absolutely none of those personal reservations. But I get what you mean. Like I, I'm, uh, I'm. Well, I don't. I'm, I'm sat happy. here on a podcast, completely talking about it. I'm just saying, <laughs> some in the back of my mind. So I was like, someone cool might listen to this. <laughs> yeah, all the cool people listen to this. <laughs> but so. <laughs> 
it, it's funny you mentioned the um, uh, Kermit walking down the street with uh, with Tiny Tim uh, scene because I read quite a bit about this scene, and uh, so this was the one that they talked about as kind of the biggest uh, full length Muppet scene where you kind of see their legs and how they did it. And uh, I, I've listened to a, a thing where it's being explained at length by uh, by Brian Henson. And basically they had three puppeteers, I think, no, four puppeteers, um, all dressed completely in blue, because this is back when it was blue screen, before it went green screen. They were dressed mm-hmm. in blue, and they had kind of one on Kermit's legs, one doing his face, another doing Tiny Tim. And they were just like, oh, and it was all done like that. And then they got they got taken out in, in post. And, and Kermit is walking on a barrel that's being just rotated. Yeah. That's how it's being done. Um, and it looks brilliant, that one. It's really, mm. really good. I thought that was uh, that was really cool. Uh, that's definitely the best of all the, the full-length Muppet shots. And he talked at length about how proud he was about that shot, and it was kind of something that had never been done, and they were only just starting to mess around with puppeteer removal, which is, was the official term. Uh, but, yeah, very very cool. I mean, a really, really good scene. And the song is great. Like the way that you got like Kermit scatting along. Yeah, very good. <laughs> so we go through um, the whole Greater Christmas present, which is basically that everyone hates him. He's going to die and no one's going to care. Um, we also find out that um, Tiny Tim's going to snuff it. Uh, actually, no. Is that is that on? Uh, is that actually yeah. that? No, that's the that's the yeah, future yeah. one, isn't it? No, no. There's not. Well, they they he says. Will Tiny Tim live? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think he will. And then this is the part where, I, and again, it, it's from the book and they do it in the film, which is dark but brilliant, where they kind of throw his own sentence back at him, where he goes like, well, if he's going to die, you better do it and decrease the surplus population. And mm. that I thought was brilliant. And it kind of had me have the the feelings of like, you kind of want this to happen to lots of people uh, and probably myself <laughs> at some point as well. Like, Everyone should go through this experience where something they've said that's kind of terrible, they should be shown exactly what that really means mm. and then been said, remember what you said? Yeah, you feel like a dick now, don't you? Like, <laughs> yeah, we should all have those moments. We really should. Like, this is, I think we should all be so lucky. Just Scrooge a reality is a bless- Yeah, Scrooge is a blessed person for getting this opportunity to see the error of his ways. Um, you know, it's, it's a very uh, thought-provoking scene. The really clever thing that they do this, which just just really punches the emotion in your face, is that they have essentially two directly st- same scenes set two Christmases apart, where they have the family and the kids, and everyone's excited and happy, and even in the face of poverty, everyone's upbeat. And then you basically get exactly the same scene, but now Tiny Tim's dead, and it's just so sombre. And uh, again, just the emotion that you can get portrayed through just puppets with the direct comparison of these two versions of the the scene it's like horrendous like it's it's focal um afflictions as well as much as it is uh like physical puppeteering um but you feel it and and then Kane's there to really back it up with this like really red eyes and um yeah absolutely cutting to, I mean, everything about Tiny Tim is absolutely tragic. I mean, he's, you know, this little, they have him like coughing and everything. And it's, and it's so upsetting. And it, it that's quite a big move to not just hint at him being like a bit ill, but to have him like, you know, 
<laughs> like like coughing and seeing like generally really ill is, is very dark and very emotional. I mean, I, I got very emotional about all the Tiny Tim stuff, you know. Uh, how, how can you not? It's it's really, really heartbreaking stuff. Um, I mean, the ghost of Christmas present was an absolute delight. It's a shame to see him go. The ghost of Christmas yet to come, um, which is just a delightful way of saying the future. Um, <laughs> we should all just bring into our lexicon more often. Um, I think everything with the ghost of yet to come is... This is probably the one bit of the film. It's quite scary, and I think it's very clever how they have like Gonzo and Rizzo like let you know they're like this is scary. We'll see it at the finale. It's almost telling those with really young children maybe skip this bit <laughs> if you got mm. like a, a four year old or something. Um, the, the the costume uh, on this yeah. dude looks brilliant, and he's got these big like lanky extending arms. It's like ominous, really like the presence of it is uh, it looks really really good the this sort of like dirty rag is perfectly achieved yeah it's kind of obviously got big grim reaper vibes but it also mm. still feels incredibly unique and and thought out it, it is lovely um do you want to hear what the i don't know how certain i know a couple of this one of these is true i don't know about the other who was originally going to play the ghost of christmas yet to come <laughs> Was there actually going to be a face to the character? Or well, just... so originally, all the ghosts were going to be played by existing Muppets. Um, and then over oh, sorry, time... Sorry, yes, I knew that much. So who was the Muppet originally going to play it? Yeah. Yeah, I did read it. I've forgotten, though. Gonzo. It was Gonzo, yeah. And the yeah. joke being his bloody nose was going to be poking out of the, of the thing, which <laughs> is funny, but massively would have destroyed everything about this whole like series of events. Yeah, I couldn't imagine um, this. <laughs> That's very funny. They were also going to have Miss Piggy as the ghost of Christmas present. Yeah, yeah, I read that as well. Which I don't think would have worked at all because he is so jolly and lovable and she is deliberately, like, aggressive. I mean, I, I, I absolutely love Miss Piggy. I think she is an exceptional character. I think she's just a brilliant work of fiction. Just, uh, just, but, to, just, just to put an R-rated spin on this for a second. So, it, in a chat group I'm in with a load of photographers, randomly someone sent a link to a page the other day, <laughs> and it was uh, boudoir um, animation uh, illustrations of Miss Piggy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't remember what you said, but like, oh. There's the uh, the sexy shots of Miss Piggy that you always wanted, and it's like like genuinely like her looking very sultry and sexy, and it was just such a weird thing to see. And then obviously to do all this, I was like, that's weird timing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, the whole relationship between Miss Piggy and and Kermit and everything is just wicked. But I mean, she's she's absolutely brilliant in this, and definitely fits that the, the character she's given much 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 better. Uh, but yeah, the everything with the ghost of Christmas yet to come is is creepy. It it does kind of. I felt in in the original book, it actually dragged a lot. So I could see why this is maybe the only bit that was kind of a bit less tight in the film. I think they summarized it kind of as much as they could. There was one thing they left out that was in the book that I found really interesting. Is Scrooge specifically asks to talk to someone who. Um, uh, was well, how did he word it? He was like, 
who was who was happy, who was like kind of had like a positive spin on his death, but not in like. But anyway, and and it was basically it was someone who, someone who was like happy and not taking the piss out of the fact he died, and they found um, uh, someone he'd given a mortgage to who couldn't afford to pay it back, who was absolutely thrilled he was dead because then he'd <laughs> maybe he'd get a few more weeks to pay his mortgage back. And it was like, okay, that's someone... It was like, that That was a very clever thing that was from the book and very well done that they, they kind of cut here, which, which was probably good because this whole bit does does drag a little bit with the whole stuff like the uh, the spider and all that. That That's a difficult scene, I think, to pull off with the Muppets. It kind of works in the book, but even then it drags and I think it kind of didn't work right here. No, I didn't, I didn't love that bit. Um... I also thought that just uh, the the whole thing is quite like obvious, and I think it's really hard to to move away from the sort of obvious subtext and where it's going to lead. Yeah. But it does pay off quite well at the end when we get to the crux of it, and Kane is pretty much on his knees or about to fall to his knees and wiping his uh, the tombstone off of the snow. Like it does deliver at that point, um, and you do yeah. kind of get you kind of get brought back into that for a moment. Which is impressive acting and directing when there's something that you know has been going to happen for the last 10 minutes is they still make affecting when it happens uh, mm, yeah. is, is a very good trick that's just very well played off. I mean, the, the way he kind of... I, I genuinely chuckled a bit when he kind of points at another grave that clearly isn't the grave. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that bit, that kind of made me chuckle. He was like, is it... No, no you sure it's not that one? No, okay, yeah. <laughs> that, that really made me giggle. But yeah, it's... Um, it's it's very emotional, it's very affecting, and you do get this just brilliant, you know, Oscar winning breakdown from, from Scrooge as he's kind of grabbing the, the robes of the of the ghosts of Christmas yet to come. And yeah, at that moment we sort of come into the bright light and we come back into sort of present time. He's had the visits and wakes up then wakes up to realise that it's Christmas Day and he can make a change and this is where it just kind of all goes a bit lovely, a bit fluffy. Um, there are some really good bits about this and some slightly poorer bits. Uh, one of the, the things that really sort of hit me that I thought was brilliant was when he goes to the the charity guys and mm. sort of whispers a number we don't hear, which is brilliant. And the gift of the scarf between the squeaker to Kane or Scrooge is just a really awesome moment like it this it's, it's somber and happy and there's this like exchange of love and gift but then when he gives it to scrooge it completely changes this dark smart businessman to just like a little flourish and just instantly he is just transformed like visually as well as his attitude and i really like that as sort of a just a just a sign and a piece within it. It was really kind of like poetically supporting the uh, the, the visual of this this idea of Scrooge. I thought it was really nice. I, I completely agree. I think that that fl- that literal color that he's given by being given this red scarf is brilliant and works so well on screen. And this is one of the scenes that I'd actually thought of when when uh, listening to the book. I wondered if it was in it. So in the book, he does whisper a number. You don't hear what it is. However, he's not given a scarf. He's not given anything. They just say like, thank you so much. Oh my God. So the idea of one of the charity men 
um, giving him a gift and him being so like genuinely overjoyed to receive it. That's an original idea. Brilliant. And that is wicked. Yeah, yeah, genius. That's really, really cool. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is so much easier to to want to, like from a director or a script writing point of view to want to have that that visual support to the idea mm. anyway. So it's a much easier choice to make, but still to go in and and do that is is fantastic. It's it's not in. I, I mean, I quickly glanced at a couple of other versions. Like Disney did another version of this film. Uh, not that long ago, um, where Jim Carrey plays Scrooge in like a motion capture. I don't know if you've seen any of that, uh, but it's not in there. Uh, but yeah, I, I, exactly that. That that visual representation of him wearing colour is really great, and it just sets up this tone, and and it sets us up for Michael Caine bursting into song. Now you were a bit Which harsh I- about his singing earlier. Oh yeah, and this is definitely the worst bit of the film for me. Not not only is oh. the singing not very good, but his acting is also quite hammy um, in this part. Like it, his attitude change is really nice and natural and works, but mixed in with the not so good singing at this very point, there's a couple of gestures that he makes towards the Muppets and stuff, which just doesn't quite feel as um, effortless and as seamless as the rest of the film. And for a second, it really took me out of it and wasn't quite up to the same par. I, I get what you mean, but I kind of completely disagree as much as he, Scrooge, is learning how to be this happy person. So, of course, it feels kind of wrong and doesn't really work. He's never done it before. And I actually like that. I think it works. I think his singing is, it, I mean, it. okay, it would be great if Michael Caine just came out and was a brilliant singer because it's incredibly average, but he's not, he's not bad. He doesn't try no, too hard because he can just sing. He basically can hold a tune and not hit a single like flat note. If you compare it to, um, you know, the, the thing I was kind of taken to was, I'm not sure if you've seen Mamma Mia, but you've got like Piers Brosden and Stella Starsgård and um, what's his face uh, all singing. And they're all awful. Like none of them can sing a note, especially Piers Brosden. It's genuinely hilarious listening to him sing. It's it's so comically bad. Um, but Michael Caine can, Michael Caine can hold a tune. Like it works. That's um, right. He's basically speaking in tune. Yeah, exactly. Um, which is fine. That That works for me. And I think his kind of awkwardness kind of works um, i think you're, do- you're doing him a lot of favors here i think this is like just slightly subpar acting i don't think he's like meta oh, acting this awkwardness I don't, I, I, there's no oh, okay. way i i had i had a few years of my life in i don't know how old i maybe was 10 11 something like that where i um when i first got like a tv in my room and uh i was I used to watch this film up until the Christmas day uh, on Christmas Eve on my own in bed. And then the next day would turn on the finale as the Christmas day morning and kind of watch Jesus. this first thing in the morning. So I, I have very strong like affection for this. You're finale. a weird kid. <laughs> You've only just worked that out. Uh, I, I think it's great. I, I think it really works. Um, one bit that's really interesting that I, I got, again, from the book is in the book it points out how um, several people w- used to laugh at Scrooge for his sudden change of manner, uh, you know, kind of almost taking the piss. 
and he didn't care. He would just kind of like laugh it off and he was just happy to be happy and he didn't care what other people thought and if they thought he was a bit ridiculous. Um, and I thought that was a very touching part of the book. And I was thinking, I'm not really sure if that was expressed in the film. And then I watched the scene again and there is a bit as he's kind of walking out one of the shops and he's kind of smiling a little bit awkwardly from ear to ear where people are kind of chuckling at him and he's kind of half chuckling back and I was like I think I think that's what they were trying to do there and that's quite clever I don't think it was done as explicitly as said in the book but it felt like a nod to that element and it was well pulled off fair comments um yeah by this point I'd been won over so much that really I didn't care like this is the the big crescendo at the end, everything's lovely and fluffy, as I was saying. So I, I wasn't, although I noticed it, it didn't didn't spoil the whole film or anything. And <clears throat> yeah, it all comes together. Um, big old family gathering, big fuck off turkey, and that that turkey is so big. I hope it's early because that ain't gonna be ready for like five hours. <laughs> I mean, once you've kind of like stuffed it, prepped it, cooked it, let it rest, cut it, that's not ready for. Like, yeah, four or five hours. I, I really hope it's early morning or it's useless. Um, but yeah, and then it comes comes to an end. It's all happy families. I think that's pretty much the story lined up. Singing on the street for the fire It's going home and getting warm by Merry fire. Christmas! It's true whenever you find love It feels like Christmas Well, one of my closing notes was that I wasn't sure how objective I could really be on this. I, I found myself so so just living in these memories and finding comparisons to sort of how I perceived it as a as a kid and things that I could pick up as an adult and the sort of nuanced Shakespearean or thespian acting from Michael Caine. Like there there was really a whole lot to to enjoy there. Um, but I didn't feel like I was being massively objective because I was just kind of enjoying this nostalgia run and I wonder if I kind of watched it for the first time how I would feel about it but I think I would still think it was great because it's great (laughs) it just is quite great I'm very aware that I am incredibly nostalgic about this film I've watched it every year for as long as I can remember. Like if I realise it's kind of gotten to just after Christmas and I've not gotten round to watching him up a Christmas Carol, I'm genuinely annoyed. And I, I remember that happening a few times and being like, oh, didn't didn't do it. Because I think it's great and I think it's a real part of my my like Christmas process. And but even but despite that, I still feel like no, objectively, this is definitely a brilliant film. I'm sure of it. I, I'm 100% sure this is a brilliant film. And like I kind of said at the start, it's not just one of my favourite Christmas films. It's one of my favourite films, period. It is brilliant. Everything in it works. It's it's very, very clever. It's exceptionally well pulled off. It's put, It's filled with brilliant performances. It looks stunning. The music is great. It's just... What is not to love? How can you not love this film? Yeah, there's there's really not a lot to criticise on it um, at all. And even if like you're not that into Christmas, you you kind of, I, I think it can't help but sort of pull you a little bit the right way. Like it, 
it's working specifically for the people that would view it a little bit more distastefully and kind of looking to bring them on side. And I'm sure it probably does that to some respect as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I went through a good few years of my life of of not enjoying Christmas um, as I was kind of like in my probably late teens, mid to late teens. I kind of had, had gone through a real phase. I was going through a real phase of just not enjoying Christmas. Uh, the magic had really gone um you know lots of outside factors uh but even still i could watch this film and just for that moment i'd kind of get it and i would just try and hold on to it like if people were being christmasy and i wasn't feeling christmasy then something like this film is what i'd be kind of trying to pull me back in to the mood and trying to help me enjoy it because uh, of course that's what it's all about and uh yeah i think it's so respectful to the original source material that mm. it it says at the end of the film it, it wrapped up brilliantly by say by Gonzo saying and if you like this you should go read the book and uh, that that's exactly what I did straight away was download the book um, and listen to it and I recommend everyone else do the same because uh, it is is wicked it really stands up nice I'm probably going to do that in the next couple of days just before we. Uh get to christmas it it i think it really makes me think there is that element of um it's such a cheesy concept the whole like can we change obviously it's kind of ripped off a little bit in um it's a wonderful life kind of plays on that similar concept and you kind of ask yourself do people really change could anyone really change this much and you know i don't know if they could or not but I, it certainly has you believing for for the film. It's very difficult to turn it off and be a Scrooge because you've almost had that concept taken the piss out of you if you're like that. Like if you're a Christmas hater, you've just had someone point out all the ridiculousnesses of that opinion uh, for, for the period of, of the book or the film. And yeah, it's um, it's delightful. Obviously, I've spoken a lot about the book and how the source material is so good. It almost is saying that you can't go wrong. But I think that is a f the incorrect thing to think. I, mean, I remember as a kid, we had the um, Mickey's Christmas Carol, which I've not watched since. But as a, I remember that being not very good and didn't enjoy it. And after a couple of years of watching both, I just stopped watching Mickey's. I've watched a couple of other renditions of this. I mean, there's that one with um, Jim Carrey I mentioned, and they use the motion the uh, motion capture technology, the same thing used in a few other films like uh, Beowulf and uh, it's just like a North Pole for North uh, oh, yeah, Polar yeah, Express. Yeah. It's all that same. The same company makes all of those films, and it for me that I, I, a lot like lots of people I find that whole thing just a bit creepy and weird. I don't really like it. I think motion capture worked amazing with like Gollum in Lord of the Rings but as a whole film animated film it just doesn't really work for me but it it's not like it's not a gimme you know just because the story's great doesn't mean it's a gimme as a film you've still got to be clever and you've still got to put it off and that's what this does it, it takes fantastic material and executes it bang on mm. it has lots of original ideas it's trying to weave in the muppets I mean, for God's sake, that's not easy. And it just does it brilliantly. It's it's honestly flawless in my mind. 
Yeah, no, it it really it really is definitely just just uh, really up there. Got a lot of love and respect for everyone involved in in the project, and they've come out with something great. Um, I think it's loved and lauded in our generation by many, and it just it is a shame that it wasn't nearly as successful as it probably could have been at release. But I I think it's it holds its place in sort of society and and everything, and is is probably um, revered as it as it probably deserves. It's rated higher than Home Alone 2 now on IMDb. <laughs> That's something. <laughs> well, that will probably bring us to the end of this episode. Um, a little bit of Christmas cheer. If you listen to this um, before Christmas, then uh, hopefully you can get a, a moment to watch it because it will massively put you in the mood, if not on Christmas Day. I've definitely watched this on Christmas Day on more than one occasion. Um and yeah, I mean, I, I've always loved Christmas anyway, not necessarily just for like the festivities. I don't mind sort of the the tree and the decorations and stuff, but I, I love time off not working. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, most of it is just because I know I don't have to go to work, but like t- knowing that everyone is off at the same time and you can have f- like drink and food all day and no one's judging you like... Obviously, you can't do that every day because you'd be a fat, drunk alcoholic. But to have one day where it's completely allowed and everyone's there to just sit and enjoy it at the same time, that is Christmas to me. And I'm happy. With, I, I don't mind the byproduct of sort of all the festivities. I get annoyed when it comes in in like November the 1st or whatever. But when December hits, that's fine. I can look forward to, to having that time off. So... Best wishes to everyone for your Christmas. I hope you get some time off uh, with your loved ones, drink and be merry and have some lovely food, whatever that might be. Uh, if you got a chance to listen to this pod, I hope you enjoyed it and uh, had a little bit of fun with this nostalgia trip that, that we've just gone on. Yeah, this has been a, a real pleasure. As soon as you mentioned the idea, Jay, I kind of knew I wasn't going to be able to say no. It was just the kind of thing we needed to do uh it's been a pleasure to talk about um it's been another fun year of uh, brotherly forces action uh even though it's been you know a little bit more intermittent uh i've really enjoyed it so i really want to thank everyone for carrying on listening and i uh, hope you carry forward with us as well i know we've gone monthly rather than weekly but we still really enjoy it we think about the pod a lot and uh, we really enjoy all your interactions so please do you know get in touch tell us how you're doing um Tell us what you're enjoying, the shows you've watched, if we've helped convince you to watch something or not or or whatever. Um, but yeah, most of all, all have a bloody Merry Christmas. In it, definitely. All right, well, um, not too long until you will hear us again. You kind of get two for a two for one um, in this period. So we are doing Faulty Towers for release, hopefully in the first week of January. So going to be back on it microphones back on and very much looking forward to that so we will see you um, in a few weeks if you're listening in real time if not we'll uh, catch you next time thanks as always bob merry christmas to you i'm sure i'll speak to you again soon but i'm glad that we did this merry christmas jay thanks very much thanks very much everyone take care thanks very much for listening to the podcast if you'd like to get in touch with us you can find us on facebook forward slash only fools brothers or on twitter we're at only fools bros or if you want to send us a longer message you can email us at only fools brothers at gmail.com 
Also really appreciate it if you could give us some sort of rating or review on your podcast app of choice. Thanks very much. Goodbye.